Hello, and welcome to the Determined People podcast, where people share their experience, strength, and hope in an open and transparent way. You know, I've been around a long time, and everyone has a story to tell. After hearing others' life story, you might say, you know, if they did it, so can I. Our guest today has a story that will move you. It's a story full of faith, determination, grit, and perseverance. It's the story of a determined young woman who only had one plan, plan A. There was no plan B. Talk about burning your bridges. It gets better. When Yulia Salmeron landed in the United States from Russia, she was 19 years old with $500 in her pocket. She was already two months into a four-month work visa. Her visa had been delayed due to 9-11, and her English, while proficient, was not conversational. She could read a book, but having a conversation was a different level of challenge. But none of this stopped her. She went to work with the goal of a better life for herself and her family. And it wasn't easy, as you will learn. She had to overcome some challenges most of us don't have to face personally and might even throw in the towel on. But Yulia recognized at an early age there was a bigger calling on her life. She stepped out in faith, and here is her story in her own words. Welcome, Yulia. How are you today? Oh, thank you, John. I'm doing well, and thank you for an amazing introduction. And it's a pleasure and honor to be in your podcast. And I just want to, first of all, thank you for the great work that you're doing on social media with your daily motivational posts. Love listening to those every day. Thank you so much. Oh, you're awesome. I, I, you made me turn red. <laughs> <laughs> I have always loved to inspire, and, and uh, hopefully comments like that remind me that, that I am making a difference. So you grew up in the former Soviet Union. What was that like? Well, I grew up in the poor working-class family. Um, both of my parents were highly educated. My dad was an engineer and my mom was a high school teacher, but they earned very little and we just barely survived. Um, we lived on monthly food stamps back then during Soviet Union, like everyone else. Black and white TV, only two TV stations controlled by the government. We were so poor uh, sometimes no, not sometimes, a lot of times, my mom used to borrow food and money from the neighbors so we can survive to the next month's paycheck. Um, lots of times my mom will not receive paychecks for months, and uh, that's just the way government operated in cities. And uh, once she get the money, then she would pay out all of her debt, and we're out of money again, and the same circle begins. So that's what pretty much I remember growing up, super cold winters, public transportation, taking to school every day. Um, my chosen people had frostbite every night when I come back from school. I had to, you know, defro- put my feet in the hot water to defrost it. Um, I was like, that, it, was, it was pretty brutal. That's how winters are. And um, when Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, um, Russian channels started to show American movies, and we've never seen those before. So through that, I start to see what life can be like on the other side of the world. Uh, so women driving cars, having businesses, uh, being able to buy anything you want from simple stuff, you know, just whatever is the stuff that appears trivial to an American person, like having to wear different clothes every day. We didn't have that luxury. We'll have one pair of pants and one sweater, and you wear that for a month. Um, that's, that, that, was, that, that was it. Um, I tell a story to my kids, and they always laugh at that because they don't understand it. I had a, a, a favorite pair of tennis shoes that I used to wear when I was 8 or 10, and uh, 
because my mom couldn't afford another pair. That Those tennis shoes were so old. Uh, they had holes on the front, so my toes will come out when I run. So what I did, I used to stuff toilet paper on the front, so my toes will come out. <laughs> I tell them that story. They were like, Mom, tell us the story again. And then my little son, he's so smart, the four-year-old, he said, toilet paper, Mom, why didn't you put duct tape around? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's how it was. Lots of diversity. I mean, adversity. Lots of adversity. And, um, you know, however, I would never change um, my childhood for anything. I feel like it built my character into who I am today, and uh, grit was part of my upbringing, and I'm very grateful for that. You definitely had to, had to learn perseverance at a very early age. Um, you know, you, you say you, you grew up you know, poor. I mean, your parents were educated, but, uh, but pay, you know, pay was different uh, in, in the Soviet Union at that time. Did, mm-hmm. you, did you have an awareness that you were poor or just kind of like, you know, this is my life at, at, at age four, five, six, seven, eight? At that age, I, you know, I, that was it. We didn't know. Um, I didn't know that I was poor, but, the, you know, the more, like, when I turned 9 and 10, then I start to realize, okay, we can't afford to buy pretty much anything. We leave from, we in debt, we borrow food. I mean, that's, that was kind of norm. I couldn't change that. That's how it was. So, When you started watching the American movies, did you believe that they were real, that people really did live like that, where they had multiple changes of clothes and people had their own cars and, and lived like a kind of an upscale lifestyle? It was, yeah, it was pretty interesting. It was like a fairy tale. I loved watching it. I'm like, wow, I mean, look what other people have, you know, in the United States. United States for us was something magical, uh, at least for me. I was like, you know, I, I, I wish I was born there. Why, why I was born here? So that's that's how it was, and I absolutely loved it. And uh, you know, when I always kind of felt that in Russian culture, uh, the sense of self um, can be so easily destroyed. It's very difficult to be unique and pursue an unusual, extraordinary goals. And uh, people don't welcome change in Russia very well. At least that's what I remember when I was growing up. Uh, they are set in their ways. You know, you grow up in one city, you work in one city, you die in one city. Nobody travels, nobody moves around. Um, so it's kind of like you're destined to live here because that's where your parents were born. So, and I did not want to accept that. Uh, no way. So I started to kind of move towards, okay, there's something else for me up there, something different. So, yeah. So you listen, actually listened to a different drumbeat and, and were moved to go ahead and take that step out. I mean, so you came to New York City, is that correct? Yes. Um, so, um, Describe my, landing in New York, because that city can be overwhelming to, to anyone who lands there. It's so dynamic and fun, but it also can be, again, overwhelming. Right. Uh, New York is, I mean, when I landed in New York City, I had trouble, first of all, getting visa. It was so difficult. Um, I had delayed visa, and when I got finally approved, um, I had, like, to leave in one week. They gave me one week. And uh, my mom had scrambled the last money that she had, uh, 200 rubles. I still remember that, to buy me a bus ticket to Moscow. 200 rubles is equivalent of six bucks here. I mean, and that's her week of groceries. So that's all she had. And 
you know, my last words were to her on the bus stop, I will never, you will never have lack of food again, mom. I promise you that. Um, and uh, I had no idea what God had in store for me. So when I landed in New York City, I felt like I was home. I cannot describe that feeling. Nobody understands it. But I felt like I finally landed on, on you know, home. And uh, sirens and New York, New York City busy noise, New York City smell. I mean, I still remember that. When I go, yeah, I mean, when I go back to New York City, we fly either to JFK or LaGuardia Airport, and we land, and I go outside, and I love that smell. I mean, that's just how I remember that uh, still 19 years ago. So uh, I arrived with $500 and a duffel bag uh, with one pair of shoes, a couple of clothes, and you'll not believe, four rolls of toilet paper. And uh, <laughs> do, you know, do you want to know why I had toilet paper? I want to know why you brought your own toilet paper. <laughs> So that's because in Russia, if you go to a public restroom, there's no toilet paper. So my mom said, make sure you pack it up toilet paper because you're going to the country. And uh, I was shocked to see there was an abundance of toilet paper, paper towels, my soap in public restrooms. And the officer at the customs was checking my bag, gave me a weird look. Why had so much toilet paper? <laughs> uh, that was funny. <laughs> That's great. So what yeah. did your first few years in um, the United States look like? Um, so I, you know, the first few months were purely on survival mode. Um, starting the first few days in the U.S., uh, me and other students, we took a uh, bus uh, to New York, uh, from New York to Cleveland, where we supposed to have a job working at an amusement park. But however, due to delay in visa, our jobs were no longer available. So we got stuck without jobs, and that was pretty frightening. A couple of nights we spent on the Greyhound bus station. I mean, I, we slept on the bench. That's how bad it was. Um, and um, then we, okay, we got to find a job. So we walked around downtown, knocking on doors in every restaurant we could, asking for a job. It was humiliating. I mean, that really finally hit me. I was heartbroken, and probably for the first time, I started to dislike America. I started to realize that I'm nobody here, and people treating me badly. I don't speak language. What are I going to do? So some students came back. They couldn't handle it, and um, I, I was scared. I was left alone. But, I mean, all the money I spent to come here on the ticket uh, to buy a flight and visa, I, I I have to make money back. So I decided to stick around, and um, um, I, I just couldn't go back. So my first job was cleaning a restaurant at night, and that was probably the, the worst job I had. I cleaned toilets, picking up cigarette butts from men's restrooms. It was horrible. Um, that You know, from an A-plus uh, student from top college in my city to a restaurant cleaner, think about that. That's that's pretty, pretty humbling experience. So that was a true character builder experience for me. And uh, I started to develop grit, and I became really tough. And after that, I realized, hey, you know, I need to speak English. I need to learn. So I became a waitress in a small Greek diner. And I remember making just a dollar tip from a table. And if I'll make 10, 15 bucks a day, I will be happy. Um, yeah. So that I did all kinds of jobs, and um, 
um, then I realized, okay, I need, I cannot go on like that. I need to do something. So I went to community college and um, signed up for English classes. And that's when my life started to change. I think I found myself back again. I'm back in school. I'm in college. And that starts opening up, you know, new doors for me. So. And when did you decide to pursue dentistry? So totally by accident. Um, I had severe dental phobia since childhood when I had fillings done with no anesthetic and root canal with no anesthetic dental um, dental practice and dental health like care in Russia is very, very poor and very behind, especially in small cities. So um, I needed to get some feelings done here, and I got myself together, went to the dentist in Cleveland. It was a very simple office, but not feeling any pain during treatment made my experience totally pleasant. So I came back to get more work done, and I was actually looking forward to that. I was shocked. And one of my uh, one of my friends um, asked me to come and help in a dental office in the summer, just as a summer job. And I got the chance to assist the doctor, and I discovered while assisting him that, you know, I really like what he's doing. And I wanted – it started kind of to grow on me, working with him side by side. And it was interesting to me, fascinating. And uh, I'm an artistic person, so I realized that dentistry kind of combines an art and uh, at the same time helping people get, you know, beautiful teeth and get them out of pain. Um, so I had a very strong uh, feeling deep inside uh, me that this was for me and this is whom I should be. And I went back um, to my first dental office. Uh, to talk to a manager. She was the wife of a dentist where I had my first dental experience done, and her daughter was accepted into dental school in Cleveland. So I asked her, hey, what does it take to get into the dental school? Um, What do I need to do? And her words were, honey, you will never get accepted into dental school. Uh, You don't know anybody. You don't speak any good English. Uh, I don't think it is for you, and maybe you should think about something else instead. And... um, that would piss you off. Yeah, I was I was crushed. I was crushed when I heard that. Um, I felt inferior that I didn't come from a wealthy and connected family. Um, but however, it didn't stop me, um, and I decided that I'll do anything I can to pursue it, little by little, small steps. So that was it. That was kind of game on. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, that that woman, that rude woman, inspired you to go for it, and you knew you could do it, but what you said about the artistry of dentistry is so true, because you really are an artist. It's not just, right. you know, like a manufacturing job. It, you really are an, an artist, uh, and and you're also doing something that you had a deep connection to, and that you're you're providing a painless experience to mm-hmm. a patient. Correct. Yeah. Most people aren't like you. They don't look forward to going to a dentist, okay? And and, I, and I'm, I'm one of those who does not like going to the dentist. If I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't do it. Right. Um, but did you ever feel like quitting? I mean, what kept you going when uh, life would just become overwhelming? Um, so, you know, I, I like the words of Marcus Aurelius, what stands in the way becomes the way. Um, and I, I never felt like quitting. I think the only way out was through it. And um, I had too much student debt to quit. I borrowed a lot of money to become a doctor. 
so I had there there was only one way and I prayed a lot. I started like there is no tomorrow, laser focused on small goals and and that ultimately led to graduation. Um I did have dark times, we all do. Um I was bullied at the end of last year of dental school and some people wanted to fail boards. So, you know, that was this was a big obstacle for me. I was furious. I didn't feel like I hurt anybody, and uh, I knew I was a good person. So through prayers and just pushing through that, I, I, I got through that big obstacle. So, you know, expand on that, if you would, Yulia, because, because we, we like to think that the bullies stay on the playground in, in grade school and middle school, but I guess they, they graduate and they maybe become dentists or, or uh, attorneys or whatever. You would think that would be out of the way. How were you bullied in graduate school? So, uh, example, one of those, for example, we, you know, we share patients. Uh, there is a patient for the boards that we try to find, a uh, perfect patient with, like, a cavity that we need to do uh, during board exam. And I, people usually help each other, uh, kind of sharing patients, and I was isolated. I would not get any share um, and um, sometimes even if you come, like we bring a patient to take, for example, an X-ray in an X-ray lab, uh, they will say, "There's no spot here. There's no spot here for you. Uh, you have to wait two more hours or something like that." I don't remember exact um, events, but I felt definitely by several people, even some employees in dental school, um, they were trying to create for me an, an obstacle. Uh, they didn't. They disliked me because everything was going good for me. I was the top student, and uh, I was very liked by Dean uh, because I performed so well, and he loved my perseverance and my success in dental school. So people started not to like me for that, and no, that was hurting me. Um, but that's that's kind of what I, I would say. Bullied not in terms of. Um, like direct words or anything like that, but isolating me from help, uh, like every other student worked together in sync, trying to help each other, and I was lonely. I was by myself. Uh-huh. Are you also working through dental school? Um, I, I did not. No, I did not work through dental school. Once I got into dental school, I stopped working, and I only solely concentrated on studies. Then, but you graduated extremely high in your class, like number one or number two? Yes. Yes, in the top 3%. don't remember the exact number now, but in the top 3%. That's great. And then you, uh, what, you should have had the choice of whatever residency that you wanted. You interviewed at the VA in San Antonio. So, uh, talk about, about that situation. So, um, yes, VN Residence in San Antonio was my top choice, one of the best programs in the country, and I was like, okay, well, uh, I have all these good grades, and I was not accepted. And uh, that was a, a huge uh, kind of disappointment for me. So, But you know what? It meant to be that way. Um, as we grow mature, we must understand that there are doors must be closed, and better doors can be opened. And I didn't understand that back then. Uh, I was a little bit immature in that sense and not very wise. I just wanted to get anything I, I could. Uh, and uh, so that, that was the first time I got denied something I wanted. And out of hopelessness, I applied to another program in Arizona. I got accepted. And um, this was the program that was the turning point in my career. 
I discovered love for root canals, and uh, inevitably people in that clinic started to call me an endodontist. Uh, I was just a resident, and they just said, this is our endodontist. So it kind of stuck with me. I was surprised and thought to myself, huh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, I pay a lot of attention to little signs like that. Um, I believe God and universe uh, talks to us this way. So I said, okay, you know, I will apply to one program and uh, something somewhere nice, like California was my top choice, uh, somewhere I don't have to travel too far for the interview because I already had to, uh, I, had a, I had a child, so it was a little bit difficult. And um, I got an, invited to the interview, and a couple of days later I got an acceptance. I was not prepared for that at all. I was like, I was actually hoping not to be accepted. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess it's meant to be. So that's how it all happened. Literally, it's that fast. So even though you didn't make it to Texas on your first try, you eventually got here. So we're glad you did. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, I love that saying though. The obstacle in the way becomes the way. I, I have something I say to people sometimes when they're going through a hard time. I say, look, when um, when, when you're ha- facing the greatest difficulties in your life, that is confirmation that you're on the right path. Keep going because the closer that you're getting to what you want to do, the harder it's going to get, and that's just that's just a fact of life, but you just got to keep going. So uh, tell, tell me about, you know, you, you've got a lot of demands on your life. You're a business owner. You're, you're a single parent. You know, you've got a, you've got a life outside of just your work <laughs> How do you manage it? You you uh, you have a daily routine. I do. Um, I developed it about a year, well, a couple years ago when I opened my uh, practice, and uh, I had to. It, it, otherwise, it would become chaotic. So I kind of um, I try to make decisions quickly. First of all, uh, so when problems occur, uh, before I used to just you know, pound on the problem. Why that happened to me? Oh, my gosh, look at this problem. Now I just try to find a solution as fast as I possibly can. And uh, my days are highly structured, and I do schedules daily, even on Sunday. I write down what exactly I will do today uh, because I found that if I don't make my day planned out, then my day just goes whatever, you know, and I'm sure you know that what that is. Mm-hmm. So daily scheduling is probably the biggest, um, the biggest, strongest uh, aspect of, uh, you know, me being organized and uh, managing all the responsibilities. Um, and, um, but I always, like, like you're saying, uh, how do you manage the responsibility? Um, God will never give you anything that you're not ready for. You know, it didn't come like that just at one time, uh, fell on my head. Uh, it kind of started slowly. And what I do strongly believe is that if you, Manage um, even little things in your life responsibly, whatever you've got, your school, your regular job, uh, you like it or not. But if you manage it well, he will give you more. Like he wants you to be ready for it. So I knew when all of that came to me, I'm like, I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to know how to handle it because he, he gifted me and he blessed me with all of this. And it's my job now to take control of it. So I, I, but yes, scheduling is, is huge. Um, what else? Let me think what I do. Um, I would say daily routine, um, getting up early in the morning, working out is probably one of, that, that changed my life too. Um, I don't think I can live without workouts. Um, I learned a lot from the gym. 
being persistent. Um, you're not going to see results right away at all. Uh, there will be no reward next day. There will be pain next day. But And that's something that applies to life and business. So just keep going, and results maybe will show up in a year or two. Um, that's just how it is. So, um, And then I spend 30 minutes or one hour a day with my kids. After work, I put myself on the way. I come from work, and they have my full attention for that full hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they know that's all they've got with me. And, you know, next day school, and mommy is at work working 12 hours, and then she's back again, and we only have one hour with her. So those are my days. Yeah, you know, I've read somewhere, that, I guess in a prior interview, that you said sometimes it's just watching cartoons with your kids for an hour. And, you know what, I think that's great. The What really moved me earlier in your story is that your mom scraped together money, the equivalent of six bucks, to give mm-hmm. you a bus ticket. And you said, Mom, you'll never go hungry again. And Tell me about how that has, tell me tell us how how that has transpired. So, when when on that day, um, I looked at my mother, and you know I was going to nowhere. I had no idea where I was going. I'm still like talking, and I had tears in my eyes because I had no idea if I would ever see my mother again. And she did the same. Um, but the sacrifice of not seeing her. And giving her money for food, that was worth it to me. So it it takes some strength to do that. Um, And I'm lucky and blessed that she was able to come here. And uh, now she's near me. And I'm, you know, very, very happy. Well, that's wonderful. So she lives in the United States now. Um, She is. And is not not, uh, ever hungry. I think that's awesome. (laughs) Yes. So you mentioned faith life throughout throughout the interview, and we talked a little bit about this in the in the prep for the uh, for the today's podcast. You know, tell me about that because in the it was my understanding that in the former Soviet Union, any mention of God was always on the down low. People didn't, you know, overtly show any faith life at all. Tell me how yours developed, if you would. Um, we were baptized when I was I was five years old because churches were not. Churches were all closed when I was born, and there was you could not, you know, mention God at all. So, but when um, slowly a little bit, there's there was some kind of freedom in terms of that that people could start going to church again. And I I believe I was five when I was baptized first, but I don't remember exactly. Maybe I'm wrong. And um, we did not go to church every Sunday because that's just not a thing. Uh, however, we did pray every night, and my mom uh, raised me um, Christian Orthodox, so we kind of grew up with prayers and uh, things like that. But um, I, that's just with whom I talked all the time when I was a little girl. Um, I'm grateful for my mother that she taught me that, and I was just talk to God every day, you know, and he became my friend. And... I, it's just something I developed early on, and I never lost it. I feel like without that, I will not be sitting right now here talking to you. I own him everything, and I'm faith made it all possible for me. Um, and um, I, there's also, you know, you need time alone, um, and that's when God, I think, is closest to you, and uh, he will give you answers 
you need to talk to him. So I, if some people are not believers, I'm not converting anybody to a believer. That's their thing. But I'll tell you, that will change their lives. Um, yeah. True. And part of what I, what I say to people about, if, you know, it's a, it's a faith life um, uh, belief, and that is that if you're trying to do something that is right, if you're working on something and you're getting frustrated, you're getting obstacles thrown in your way, that is an adversary throwing throwing obstacles your way, and it's it means it. But again, it's a confirmation you are on the right path, and you certainly did not have an easy easy life. Um, you've been able to to take your experience and your abilities and your intelligence and and your drive and desire and turn it into something which is going to be a a, a different life for your little ones growing up. But I love what you said about you wouldn't trade your 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 life, you know, growing up, you know, a young adult to young adulthood in 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 Russia and former Soviet Union for anything. Correct, and you know, when I think about it, and I look at my boys, um, they got everything, um, and you know, they will never experience what I experienced, and that was you know, this sometimes I'm like, can you guys grow up and still, you know, be excellent people, extraordinary people, uh, having everything at your disposal, that worries me. I feel like when you have lack of something, that makes you so much stronger. Um, so, yeah, I will not trade it for anything. It's it, it meant to be that way. I'm a, I'm a lot more tougher person, and I can, I can handle all. I can be at the bottom, and you can take everything away from me right now, and I'll get it all right back. No question about it. I, I I believe that 100% because you've got resilience, and uh, you know that's 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 the hard part with kids. Because I, you know, I have two boys that are 25 and 27 now, but when they were younger, letting them hurt is the hardest thing a parent can do. It was for me mm-hmm. because you don't want your little ones to hurt. You don't want your kids to hurt, but that's the only way they understand. They'll get through it. They'll get over it. So it's a it's a uh, it's a fine balancing act, but I'm sure you do that well as well. I tried. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I wish that they gave you a, a manual with, when you had kids to say, okay, you're de- dealing with this. Look on page 546. It will tell you exactly how to handle it. But right. a lot of it ends up being sometimes just shooting from the hip. But uh, but they always, we always find a way to, to to make it happen. Well, obviously you're doing something right in your your business because Edge Edge Endodontics Endodontics has over 135 reviews online, all are five stars. And for a dentist to get that many five-star reviews is is remarkable. You know, you can tell though when you look at the pictures of your business online, you put your technical and artistic skills to work because it does look like a spa. And even the name of her practice, Edge, has a meaning behind it: E for excellence, D for dedication, G gratitude, and E for an elite experience. You know, how did you come up with the name, Julia? Um. I wanted a name uh, strong um, and yet kind of like describing a little bit my personality. So um, edge was something that just came up. And, you know, I have to mention my fiancé, Chris. He's the one who helped me to pick that name um, and helped me throughout my whole journey as a business owner to – He's an amazing business owner himself and built a successful company. So I learned a lot from his failures and successes and um, wanted also to say, you know, if you're a business owner or no matter what you do, you need to have mentors in life. It's 
good to be around people who went through that. So, but edge, yeah, it, it kind of, I, I have an edge on something, you know. It describes also the edge of a dental instrument because I use sharp instruments to uh, clean root canal system. So that all kind of encompasses that. Well, that makes a complete complete sense and expands on that. So um, one last <clears throat> one last question for you. You know, what advice do you have for other people to add to what you've already said when, when life becomes just overwhelming and they feel like they just don't want to keep going? Um, have a lot of faith, but yet put a lot of work. Pray a lot and find what to be grateful for. Um, just count your blessings. What you have right now, write down the list. Um, I do this maybe once a week because sometimes I just, you know, I become discouraged. I'm not always like that. Uh, and most of the days I'm not positive at all. So find what to be grateful for. Um, and um, don't be in the comfort. Uh, I know life is overwhelming and that's okay. That means you're doing something right. Um, and dream big. Uh, and don't have fears. And if you do have fears, go toward that fear. Um, try to stretch yourself. It's okay. Um, and I, I will spend, you know, will say the last saying. I don't know who said that. I read it somewhere. If you hit the moon and you miss it, you are still among the stars. I love it. I absolutely love it. The obstacle in the way becomes the way. Fear in the way becomes the way. You know, yes. face the fear. I hate that saying, fake it till you make it. I, I prefer to say, face it until you make it. That's and just right. keep, keep showing up, keep facing it. You know, one last thing I'd like to, to, to expand on is that is gratitude. It is, uh, it's a huge part of my life, and it allowed me to see things differently. And, you know, actively practicing gratitude, like what you said, writing things down that to be grateful for, it changes the biochemistry of our brains for good. We see the world through a different prism. Our worldview expands. We're able to get to the heart of, of others and see them for who they are rather than just maybe how they want us to see them. So with that, let's draw to a close here. You know, one thing I'd say is everyone I meet has a unique, inspiring, but relatable story. This podcast, the Determined People podcast, it provides a forum for you to hear and learn from them. I'd like to say thank you, Yulia, for taking the time to share with our listeners your story. We wish you nothing but health, happiness, and success always. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate that. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.